returns to Cats and Dogs to show how you can use batch normalization to achieve, I guess, first place results. Not just best in class, but first place. What batch normalization is, is I was slightly unclear on it, but I think it's more or less you normalize the results in some way so it gets rid of like error so things become more accurate and you do it for each layer but normally you can't do it for something like VGG because through um, stochastic gradient descent like if you took out if you normalized it then you would reset all of the weights which would mean that you just destroyed your model but Jeremy comes up with a trick to make it so that it has to do with statistics, which I don't know the internet's of it, but um, then he goes into back into the IMDB uh, model set to talk more about embedding. So whereas last time we looked at it from an Excel sheet perspective, now we actually move into Keras to show like how that works. So just as a reminder, um, he looks at the embeddings, which is just a vector for like users and movies, and that sort of represents like like them as a factor. And then each embedding has latent factors themselves, which can be like hidden factors that represent something like is it funny? Are there more than five male leads? Things that end up causing some kind of like result in the categorization. By doing that, you, you come up with a bunch of parameters that represent what influences whether somebody like will rate it high or not. And when you look at these individual ratings, you can figure out through something called principal component analysis, which is just sorted to PCA to see like what they mean. So like one component might be like, is this a classic movie? Another one might be like, how violent is this? But um, it basically just comes out through running the algorithm, like these abstractions, and you have to use your human intuition to like, figure out what the category means. And then, like he basically, yeah, just walks through actually doing it with the Keras API. So this time, he introduces us to the functional API, which compared to what we had been using, which is the sequential API. Like in that one, you organize your deep learning by just passing in an array, which has all of the steps in a sequential order of like what you do to each one. But you can't do that with embeddings because you're doing like a dot product of user and movie or like multiple things that have their own like set of information so in order to handle like this complexity you just end up calling it using like this syntax which is just like the normal thing that you want to call uh like a dense layer or something like that um and then on the outside of it you add what the previous layer was so you can add in more things into it to make it work and finally, he makes the connection to like why we went through all the embeddings in the first place, which is just 
because it connects to natural language processing. So you'll, for various reasons, want to use the functional API or embeddings on NLP. I think for functional API, like uh, API, you can do parallel processing. So if you have metadata, just along with your input data, you can use a functional API because it you can process information simultaneously and you don't have to do it in parallel. And especially for NLP, because since we're using embeddings, there are going to be like two different sources or here we have like two different sources of information which have to be processed simultaneously since we're taking a dot product. So a functional API is more, it's better handling these kind of jobs. And I don't think you can do this eventually. As opposed to what we did before can be done in a functional API too. But what we're doing now cannot be done in the sequential API. Yeah, and that's... Also, yeah, trying to remember why embeddings are really useful for NLP. Um, I think... So NLP is like... Yeah, I was reading about this uh, yesterday more, and Cora had a good explanation for this. So NLP, in NLP, we're processing words. And those are like... So if you just quantify words, so you have an index of words, which basically means you can quantify the words. And based on frequency, you can sort them once you have the indexes. Indices. So these words are still discrete. They're in a discrete space. And by using embeddings, you're kind of converting that into continuous values. Because you have, like, instead of processing directly the discrete set of uh, indices that you have, you use embeddings, which means some continuous uh, set of random numbers. So those are like vectors, continuous vectors. And you convert the, this discrete space in continuous space, which the neural net can then process. So if like an embedding is just like a vector, I guess. Yeah, where it just stands in for it, basically. Like, I just don't oh. see how this is that different from like, I think, I think, what Jeremy did say was that it's just not that different from like colors, like on a yeah, channel. It's just exactly. like the same thing. It's just like okay, yeah. Except you just have a lot more. It's Rather than three channels, thing. you just have like a ton of words, and so yeah, yeah. So I think it is like so, I was just overcomplicating it. It's just the same thing. The still like in a picture, you have pixels, and uh, those are directly like numbers that are actually like you don't make them up. RGB, every picture, every pixel has some RGB value. Whereas words are completely arbitrary. The model doesn't know how to process words. So what do you do? You find a way in order to quantify them. So you give them certain indices. You then use frequency analysis and see which words are the most common, which are not. And then maybe you take the first 5,000 most commonly occurring words. And then how, these are just still just words. These are still all user-defined numbers. Then how do how do you actually like randomize or how does the model process them? So what you do is you create random, uh, you create vectors of random numbers. And instead of uh, running the neural net on the actual word indices, you run the neural nets on these vectors. 
using the now given word indices as labels. That's what he's done in the IMDb data set. So like the user ID and movie ratings both have their own vectors defining some which have which are composed of certain random numbers and the movie rating is actually the label. So how do these numbers then align themselves by a stochastic gradient descent in order to predict the movie rating for that particular user? How does that happen? So that is figured out by, then by the neural net. And then the resulting embeddings that you have are actually able to predict all the missing values, all the NANDs in the data set. Right. Yes. Cool. Well, yeah, that sounds like a pretty good high-level abstraction way standing is happening. I think Jeremy just closes out with talking about recurrent neural networks. He kind of establishes the problem space a little bit. He's like, well, when you have a sentence like, I went to Nepal in 2009, and in 2009 I went to Nepal, there's a concept of meaning where like, in Nepal in 2009 is itself a big concept. Like those happened at the same time, but in those two sentences, they occur in different spots. So unlike, I guess, you need to represent state like over time and you have to like remember things for a longer period of time so that's he was saying like with like that's a challenge that you need to handle with doing natural language processing and um like you could set it up where if you knew exactly how many words were in a sentence that you wanted to analyze could just do like a sequential style like program but instead if you organize it as a recurrent neural network um, you basically just like make a loop in the middle where like a hidden layer is updated with like knowledge of the previous layer sort of like a linked list and like it's just a better way to organize it's like a programming modification but basically the same stuff is happening but the information is stored in a slightly different spot well i love the high level summary on rnns is that something that i hadn't understood at first glance yeah i haven't gotten to the rnn part yet but i'll do that later uh heart passed i guess did anybody have speaking to like you know, emotional blockers or like um, pressures that you overcame to, to do the work. I took a break for three to four weeks with the learning this time. This was, this was the first time that I took such a long break and it was really hard coming back to the learning. I simply, I didn't find fine at times. Sometimes I was just wasn't motivated enough to do it, but then... Uh, this is, I think, the, one of the times when having a group has really been very helpful. And it hasn't been, I won't say it was stressful being in a group to meet expectations more because I have, uh, I motivated myself saying that, oh, we're going to meet on this day and everybody's going to come prepared. And what will I talk about if I'm not prepared? That was a kind of pep talk that I gave. And um, every week since then, I've been just uh, 
I, I haven't been doing much learning, but just glancing through the notes and staying uh, just so that the matter stays fresh in my mind. That's what I've been doing, like spending about half an hour each week for these three uh, past three, four weeks. That's what I've been doing. And um, that's how I've, I have tried to stay motivated. But it was hard coming back after such a long break. Same. Just the exact same. Minus doing 30 minutes of reading. It was just hard for me to come back and be like, uh, I did reread like lesson four to remember what embeddings are, but it was hard to get motivated. But the group aspect really helped a lot. Yeah, for me, um, yeah, like because of the long break too, like I was hoping to get more coding in, but <laughs> I feel like I've really been sidetracked. Because I'm doing other things at the side. Like I recently bought a book called Statistical Rethinking, and it's a introductory Bayesian statistics book. Really awesome. I'm thinking like you know like deep learning is cool and super useful, but at the stage where I'm at in my company, I feel like having a real strong grasp of more introductory statistics would, on average, be more useful. Um, than being really good at deep learning right now. So like, yeah, we, you know, we've seen neural networks as we've seen in this course are really good for like making sense of processing images, speech, text, um, video data, but that's not something that we really have tons of right now, like at my company. So I've been really spending a lot more free time going through this book to get better at Bayesian statistics. Um, but yeah, I'm hanging in there, like trying to juggle a lot of things. Cool. So, um, next one is, uh, heart future. So is there anything that made your heart beat faster, um, through like the ideas that you encountered, something you got really excited about for me, actually, um, so being refreshed on embeddings was really exciting for me because I was thinking through, uh, you know, because he was able to get like an 80% matching rate, which is academic best in class using like some pretty straightforward deep learning techniques. And uh, for like predicting the next movie. So we could actually do something similar in my grassroots organization where uh, I guess I started a grassroots organization called Rad Chinese, and so part of it is people pair with other people to explore topics on their own. So what we could do is actually just have people say, you know, respond to 15 topics to be like, oh, what would you like? Like, is this interest topic interesting to you or not? And then based on that, you could sort of match, like, you know, as future topics come on board, you can, like, differentiate them in that way and be like, oh, we should share it with this group first because they're the most people who are likely to comment on it and like be really engaged. Or like you can sort of fill it out in that way, that starter set. And you could also do something like um, using an LP. Because like, Jeremy was talking about how although embeddings are really popular now for making money because like... You know, matching people to mm -hmm. this thing is really profitable. He was like, actually, we're just trying to make the world a better place. So we're not, that's not like the point of this course. So he was talking about how, you know, by reading words, 
like through NLP, you could do medical diagnostics, like just based on, you know, readings. You could like figure out what, like, you know, life-saving medicine they might need. Um, so I was thinking like, oh yeah, you know, something that's important for me as well is to be able to track how, like the kind of movement people have through the work that they do. For example, like listening to this podcast or having this deeper discussion about modern minority myth or like whatever topic. And you could have people do a before and after of what they think about the topic and sort of begin to do either like, yes, you could begin to suss out like what are the latent factors that lead people to change and also diagnose sort of like where they are and to be like, oh, well, this group of people are here and this group of people are there. Like, what is the difference between them? And that could lead to more interesting conversations. You'd be like, oh, actually, y'all should talk about that and sort it out because we haven't achieved like a consensus yet. There's like a hidden thing there that like is a tension in the community. So there's a lot of like, interesting work that helped me frame like what kind of data we'd want to get right now so that because right now it's obviously a smaller organization since it started recently but uh, as it grows you know having this data over time can make a really huge difference okay yeah what i'm excited about like i've said it before natural language processing i think would be like useful for my company we're trying to contact learners who have been disengaged with the product. We have like information as to like what they self-reported, like what they said about their long-terms and short-term goals are. We have a bunch of these like texts that we could like look through, but but we also have like new courses that we could offer these people. So right now, people at my company are manually going through the list of short-term and long-term goals and specifically trying to find new courses to get these people to come back again natural language processing like machine learning in general would help us like automate this task yeah i haven't yet delved too deep into this lesson to get really excited about stuff i'm just happy that uh, i finally have an idea how embeddings are working and why they're really useful some time back i did a project um, on nlp it was simple frequency analysis and um, sentiment analysis using back of words. And it was so simple that it was uh, easy to understand, but I knew like it wasn't really effective. But uh, here now using embeddings was kind of an aha moment for me because like you're quantifying words and then you're like you know, a model is actually processing words. And that was something, uh, like, it was mind-blowing for me. Like, how that, the process of how that happens. And uh, finally, I think I have an understanding of back norm. So that was what was pretty exciting. Like, Jeremy talks about it in detail in the first uh, initial part of the video. And uh, I think I have an idea of why back norm is used and how it's useful. Wait, what is back norm? I've definitely forgotten. So back norm is uh, where you normalize your oh, inputs. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah, back norm, that's right. You have some certain inputs and they might be at different scales. So you just normalize all the inputs using their own mean and standard deviation. 
so that all inputs have the same starting point and that just helps gradient descent in not over or underestimating oh values. God, that was a brilliant explanation. So since all values have the same, like they have the same weights, so, okay, weights is a wrong word. So they have the same um, importance, I would say. Gradient descent doesn't give over importance to one value and under importance oh to God, the other that. value. So they have the same starting point. Something that I'm sure you as an activist right. values. Oh <laughs> but that was a brilliant <laughs> explanation. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Because he always just pointed to like other articles to read. And like I don't know statistics that well. So I was like, mm, I'm not sure if I'm going to. But that I totally understood. <laughs> Sweet. I think that's what Z-Scores... It is, right? Like, like you have a random variable. Like, this is basically like an array of values. You subtract the mean, divide by standard deviation. You get the z-score. Um, if you have a normal distribution, like if you're like uh, the z is, I think, like 1.96, then that's two standard deviations away from the mean. I think that's what it is. I think, yeah, batch normalization is z-score, but applied to... Yeah, like your your data. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. So it'd be like the batch normalization would, but then handle like any kind of distribution, basically, not just normal distribution. Yeah, like in machine learning, I guess in this case it's just like to make sure that like once you're doing back propagation, the weights don't blow off, like they don't go too high. Like for some reason, like batch normalization does that. Right. I don't know if this is really a mind pass, but it's just something I'm still kind of confused by. What I thought was really interesting. So um, if you've gone like for our, all our listeners out there, like if you've gone through the Udacity's intro to machine learning course, course, like part of it, you actually like do some sort of natural language processing to uh, work on the Enron project. The Enron project entails uh, you trying to build a classifier based on financial data and also like emails of the people involved in en the Enron scandal. You want to classify whether or not a person is person of interest. Are they someone that might be guilty of fraud or associated to those people who are guilty or just like labeled by people as like, yeah, you you're possibly shady we're not really sure um so like one thing that was uh that they discussed there was like this process of like you have the words in, in terms of like converting the email to like a set of vectors for classification so you have a set of words you count the frequencies what i thought was interesting was like they talked about like actually keeping the rare words, because rare words might actually be special and give give off something. What I just realized, like, was like in Jeremy's case here, like that he doesn't even try to do that at all. Like he just looks at like the top most occurring like frequencies, or the yeah the most occurring words, and like discards the rest. Yeah. Um, I just thought that was like interesting, and I'm still like trying to figure out kind of why i guess maybe in my head like the words that don't occur as much yes they are useful in a sense that they could 
like rare words might be like might actually give you in more information than the commonly occurring words but i guess they could also be considered noise like you don't have as much data available by definition um i don't know like i'm still kind of confused as to like why he just discarded that i think a lot depends on what uh, the aim of the natural language processing is like uh jeremy's aim here was uh, sentiment analysis and rare words are mostly going to add noise the kind of rare words that uh, he demonstrated were bromwell 1987 those those mostly will be nouns which won't anyway have a sentiment value attached to it whereas in the enron case people were actually trying to find some more detailed information which was like in a different dimension altogether so there uh, maybe rare words yeah. were of importance Yeah, I I think that definitely makes more sense now that you've explained it. Like yeah, like they're both doing classification, but one is like sentiment, like when with sentiment you usually don't like care about like what types of words are there that are like very common like did they mention the word like? Did they mention the word love? Um yeah. like things like that. Um but, but proper nouns aren't going to be useful at all. And I think like in the intro to machine learning course they do remove some nouns like if like in their case like if you're trying to classify you're trying to figure out which person wrote the email and the, there's the email but you also have like author like the, hey this is from Chris or this is from Sarah you try to remove those because that's like that gives your your classifier an, an unfair in, information because it's not always there and but yeah, I see I see the point like, I think that really makes sense thanks Supriva I I don't have a mind pass. Um oh same. So for mind future, I guess that's um you know, anything that you want to like that you thought about deeply that you want to remember like into the future later on. It's like a clever way to remember something. Yeah, I have one. Uh this is more uh, less to do with the subject we're talking about and more to do with just kind of a higher level motivation thing that for the past of month i was really struggling with motivation and just finding i may have time but then i wasn't really motivated to learn and to just use more of my brain power that than was necessary and what i found really useful was setting reminders every 3 days to spend just 15 minutes on thinking what was really blocking me from uh, learning and the reason was could be completely different from what you perceive so for example like i thought i wasn't finding enough time or my daughter was acting cranky so i was not uh, motivated enough or i was too tired but those were not the reasons at all why i was demotivated the main one of the main reasons was that i had totally forgotten what i had learned and i was kind of afraid to start everything all over again and that was what was actually stopping me from learning and just thinking back i feel that is such a silly reason not to work or not to learn something so what i did was i started going through notes right from lesson 1 i videos are now for some reason i'm in a phase where i don't find the video lessons helpful at all 
I'm completely relying on notes. Like, I don't want any noise, nothing. Like, so I've been, what I've been doing was just going through notes right from lesson one to lesson four without judgment, without taking any notes or without making any mental notes. I just read everything. And for some reason, I just got over my blocker. And lesson five probably has like the first part of lesson five. That's what I did this week. And that probably has been one of the best learning experiences I've had wow. till now. That's amazing. Since I started this project. Nice. So it was a different experience. Uh, yeah. I really love that idea. A uh, compliment to it maybe is uh, I heard that if you are having... Because it sounded like you reflected pretty deeply about what was blocking you. And so if, if, if yeah. another way to do it, sounds like you've already got it down, but you can ask why five times is a classic like management technique that people sometimes do to like get at the root of things. So you can be like, oh, you know, like I, oh. I feel demotivated. It's like, but why? It's like because like I'm too scared to like start. It's like, but why? It's like because I haven't looked at the material in a long time. And it's like why? It's like because I don't have like a regular habit of doing so. I don't know. <laughs> it's like whatever. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's something similar what I did, but I didn't know it was a well known management practice. There you go. Nice. Yeah. I think what I, um, for me, my, my advice for myself, like something I haven't done yet, like I, I feel like, again, like I haven't really done a lot of the coding like for this course, but I think what I'd like to do and try is to, to pair with uh, like one of y'all, like um, I like for the coding sections like maybe we could work on like a Jupyter notebook together maybe rebuild like the code from scratch um and like just build piece by piece like build a piece send it to the next person that person does the next piece and then it go goes back to you do like a ping pong style of like um like building something i think would be gives you like some pressure to like really work on the like thing you're work, trying to work on and again for me that's like the coding part um i think it will motivate me um yeah that's what i'm looking forward to Legit. next time yeah that'll be awesome yeah yeah let's man. do this Cedric. let's do it whoa all right cool so yeah that's it Thanks for listening to Startup Data Science. In the next episode, we will talk about our experiences with the second part of the video of Lesson 5. Till next time.